Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. The Premiership is back, it's early doors and we still don't know how good anyone is, but I reckon Celtic and Rangers are in a league of their own this year. Can Hearts, however, humble the champions? Will the buddies burst Gerrard's bubble? Later on, we'll be focusing on Falkirk as the League One side plan on an immediate return to the Championship. How many goals will Hibs concede this week? And could Cosgrove be contemplating Calcio? I'm Andrew Slavin, and alongside me in the studio, someone who would never leave Aberdeen for Rome, it's JJ Bull from The Telegraph. Hello. Hi, JJ. And joining us also in the studio, he's more Bucky than coffee, he's more Copper than Calcio from Copper 90, it's Finn Marks. Ciao. <laughs> I wrote down as a possible alternative to that. Uh, he's I, more serious than Syria. Oh, that's very good. A bit of drama in the women's game, guys. It was a heartbreaking exit from the World Cup in France for Scotland in the summer. 3-0 up against Argentina with 15 minutes to go, and it finished 3-3. It's the first time we've talked about this. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. It was uh, awful. It was, and it was a penalty, wasn't it, that had to be retaken, and we all know what happened. Which I think is it's a rule that they're subsequently softening now or slightly they yep, not enforcing it straight after they it straight always after. Scotland I yep. just love that it, we I, are the there football was still and time enough. there was still time enough for Scotland to go out of a major competition because of that rule yep uh, heroically horrible absolutely horrible it's the first time I've seen my girlfriend watch football and want to boot the hell out of the television but anyway it turns out the day after that game there was a team meeting where many of the players were reduced to tears after being told some home truths by Kerr and the coaching staff the coaching staff had been out having a few drinks well, with Shelley Kerr beforehand. They had, they had a meal, meal yes, yeah. a meal with a few drinks. Which could um, mean one glass of wine, who knows? Yes. Still. What do you think about this from a management point of view? Going for a meal, by all means, with your coaching staff and throwing fuel into a fire and saying, this worked, this didn't work. But then to go back and get the team together on the same night, she has admitted she would do things differently. Yeah, well, Shelley Carey. Well, she'd admit that as the boss of several employees, well, effectively what they are, she wouldn't have a few drinks and then do a... Imagine that. Imagine your work. Your, your manager takes you, like, you go out to the pub for a few drinks and a meal, and, uh, and afterwards he goes, right, I'm going to do your performance evaluation now. Like, but, but in the wake of a massive deal having yeah, gone south. A shooting they've been working for for months. Yeah. It's totally unprofessional. I mean, <laughs> like, it absolutely is. I, I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly how that went mm-hmm. down. And I know that like, Nicola Doherty's come out and said that the whole squad's behind Care. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I've heard mixed things about how the squad responds to Shelley Care, and I've had my criticisms of the way she managed the team during the tournament as well. I, 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 I kind of want to know what the home truths are that they're talking about because I would say as well I think there were maybe some questions that could be asked of the playing squad but I also think Shelley Kerr's got quite a lot to answer for as well and just in terms of I thought watching the Scotland games we were tactically so naive in a lot of the games especially the Argentina game so late to react to everything but that was it and they were she, hanging into that game yeah we were knackered 3-0 up 14 minutes left absolutely knackered and you think even the most basic tactical change is take players off and bring on players that can just shore that up and see the game out. And she didn't make any changes until Argentina got it back to 3-2, and it was a double substitution in the 86th minute. It's like, well, what's yeah, that going to do to change the game? As much as uh, it really boils down to a group of coaches went out and had a meal and had alcohol, and that's what spurred out into the media, that the coaching staff has, yeah. have had alcohol. It could be and, any amount. And, yeah, exactly. Well. And we don't know. It, you know, They might have been fine. It's just that 
someone's upset. This might be a bad moment for Shelley Kerr, but she is still someone who's taken Scotland to a, a major, team manager. Yeah, national team manager. It's one of those things where we love to just smash someone when they're right at the top. And um, I think before any real details are clear, we have to be really careful and just still support the team. I, I don't know. I think that's a, it's a really weird one because I, I agree that like, you don't know how how drunk anyone was it could have been I mean the definition of drunk is having consumed even like a drop of alcohol that's this weird law breathalyze them but then KR said that it's an elite performance environment so in this environment people are going to get upset home truths will be said because you're going to say you should have done this this shouldn't have happened clearly it is the wrong time to debrief people on a night out I don't think for a minute she's like slugging a bottle of juice onto the stage you go look at another thing like that You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Kilmarnock and Aberdeen face off on Saturday. Both were involved in the race for third last season, but this campaign has proven stressful for fans of both clubs. We're joined now by Barry Richmond from KillyFC.com. Barry, we spoke last season several times. Everything was going so well, top of the league at one point, but it's been a pretty deflating start for you guys, hasn't it? Yeah, we're calling it the summer of shambles, really. Oh, uh, I think everything just kind of started falling to bits when there was a big Steve Clark-shaped hole in the door and uh, it's pretty difficult to fill it. It took a wee while to get somebody new in and that was us behind the balls straight away. So it's been difficult to try and catch up, I think. And that's been obviously shown on the park. What do you make of the impact that Angelo Alessio's had so far? Can you see any changes on, on the pitch and the style of play yet? Definite changes, yeah. We used to win. <laughs> so, I think, to be fair to him, he, I'm not sure if he was 100% right up on what he was coming into. Uh, the guys obviously operate at a much higher level, albeit he was only an assistant manager. I think he's got a lot more to do here than he actually thought he was going to. You know, Steve Clark had total control of everything, and I'm not quite sure whether Angela knew he was coming into that or not. And that coupled with the fact, you know, we lost our CEO at the same time as well and the, the, the chief scouting guy left as well and, you know, suddenly there's been less for a lot to do and we're, we're behind, you know, in terms of time and getting things together as it was. So for him to then impart everything, all his knowledge, etc., onto the players and trying to create some major change it must have been very difficult for him. Obviously, we get parked out of Europe pretty quickly mm-hmm. uh, it just wasn't happening you know and he's kind of reverted now to what we're playing like before mm-hmm. and I think he's going to change things a bit slower now The result against uh, Connors Key it came so early in the season do you think that the kind of sluggish start to the season is almost like a, a bit of a hangover from that because it came so early? We should have been able to play that game with no manager mm. and win it yeah. uh, I, I, I can't put that down. you know there's obviously been a bit of confusion etc but I'm putting that down to the players. Players done great last year. Absolutely fantastic. But we lost 10 over the summer and we're down to a bit of a skeleton squad. But the guys who are left, I mean, I had every faith in them and, and they're, they're good players, but they just didn't seem to pull it together. And your game against Rangers, we played really well. Can't just be up for those games, obviously. Didn't look great against Hamilton in either game, although, you know, we managed to pull through and get through in the cup. But we can only hope things will gradually improve. Well, that's, that's the thing, because it's still really early days, isn't it? But how much time do you think Kilmarnock fans can give Alessio at the club if, if things don't dramatically change? 
Some of the fans want it. I'm going at ten o'clock that night. First day. <laughs> <laughs> That's how long they were giving him. And there's, you know, they're giving all this stuff about, oh, you know, we're better just getting rid of him now, and that'll be the end of it. Uh, there's no point in getting here if you know he's going to be rubbish. I don't understand that at all. Everybody's got to be given a chance. The, the guys get. It's not all down to his CV, obviously, but he, he clearly knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of I mean, he might not have been aware of how much he had to do. And you can see the frustration in trying to bring players in and for whatever reason, they're, they're not want to come. That's one of the big problems. It seems to be that he's short of players. Like he says he wants a left winger, a midfielder, a striker. And uh, from what I've seen at Killy this year, I, I wonder whether he wasn't quite sure at what level they're at. Because a lot of the stuff he seems to want them to do, like well, switching the play, isn't quite working. When you look at the guys that he's used to coaching and what they can do and their capability, then he comes here and there's a look. And, you know, he has looked into it. I spoke to the guy myself and he we had his watch, etc. And he looked at all the videos and he knew the guys who used to be here. Not that that's any good. But he knew everybody who had left during the summer. With those 10 players leaving, you know, that was a huge gap to fill. And we're just not much of a squad there at all. That's building back up now again. And hopefully, I mean, I know he's still looking at two or three other players, especially a striker. But everybody's looking for one of them. So it's not just going to happen next week or anything like that. This appointment was heralded as quite, you know, exciting, but it's not been a great start. No, so it's, what, it's, fine, it's fine though. It's all right. Yeah, no, like, I know, but I'm obviously aware that <laughs> we're expecting too much, aren't we? I don't think I've talked to a single person who thought Killy would be the same level as they were last year after Clark. So I think there was always going to be a drop off. The Connors key thing is a shock. The players weren't good enough on that one night they lost 2-0. It was a stupid kind of red card thing from Finlay and the yeah. penalty. And Finlay's been awful all the season. So a few of them look a bit just kind of, I think you said hungover earlier. Like yeah. it's, it's, They're just not quite sharp enough. I went through all Achilles' games and Weisskate, all of them, uh, <laughs> from the season so far today. So, like example, against Hamilton, they were decent enough, right? Mm-hmm. So they started well, they had all the ball, they had 78% possession, which I mean, possession doesn't mean anything, really. But they had all the game. And uh, Hamilton was just sat back deep against them got this random goal and they got their goal by Alston punting it like yeah. 80 miles in the air <laughs> the boy takes it down comes across and then they, and then they score that way right and the second goal was another launch and they, they come away and the ball through the middle of the box goes through past the goalkeeper it's kind of a bit of a stramash right but Killy had all the game XG they were something like I think it was 1.89 to 0.83 so they should have won it I think it's 2-1 or something like that but really Killy should have won that game mm-hmm. and on average they would win if they played it another 10 times or something like that. To suggest that Alessio might be a shorter time is funny. <laughs> to have in like these first but my, two my, games. My, my main point was, you know, Alessio comes in with an incredible CV yeah. where it, a lot of people are expecting to see certain things, but it is just hard when the previous manager has done so well and everyone expects too much. So it's hard no matter what's going to happen. But up against Aberdeen, Finn, how do you think they're going to fare? Obviously Aberdeen not having the best of starts themselves either and themselves being out of Europe as well. Yeah, I don't know. I, I find this one actually a really difficult one to call. Yeah. Uh, on paper, you think that Aberdeen should should win it in terms of like the league standings and stuff. And I, I'd say I have seen enough of Aberdeen this season where they've been good mm-hmm. to suggest that I think they've got more than enough for Kilmarnock to handle. But then Kelly be looking to build on the, the Hamilton Cup result and it's it's that slow and steady progress they just want to make. And I think the fact that they're at home again for the second week, you know, um, I mean, Aberdeen did really well 
actually to have the cojones to get out of that tie against Dundee because oh, it didn't it, horrible, it didn't look like they were going to and that had been true to form for what they'd been playing like the last like three weeks before that so this one's kind of uh, difficult and of course they're always kind of tempestuous games like there was the game last season where there was, was it three Kelly players were sent off in the last game at Rugby Park last season so it could be interesting but Aberdeen always for the last season now have had an absolute genius of a man up front Sammy Cogrove Ballon d'Or yeah <laughs> um, and what's this story about him being linked to Serie A? I know it's been quashed now, but why was there such Who excitement quashed the last it? day? Aberdeen. Have you ever said the word quash when it isn't related to a transfer rumour or <laughs> like outside a studio? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those words that exists only in like the football world. I, I, I would still say it in the pub, though. Would you? Yeah. I, I've would quashed you, you, that. You say, <laughs> oh, I heard that Sammy Cosgrove rumour has been quashed. <laughs> Yeah, when I'm smoking cigars with my friends in the, the high mountains. I love those kind of words that you only have in relation to football. Like, <laughs> Quite, um, yeah. if, if you've got a lot of money to spend in the transfer market, it's only known as a war chest. Oh, yeah, and yeah. that is the only yeah, time you yeah. use that Did word. you hear about Aberdeen's war chest? <laughs> the thing is, it was probably there because it's Cosgrove, quashed, it's close. You think but it's anyway. And in the background. Anyway, yeah. well, this is some media outlet in, in Italy has linked... Lazio with Sam Cosgrove because he's very cheap compared to what you'd normally get for a player who scores 100 goals every five games. Lots of championship clubs are interested in him too. I, I was trying to figure this out and I was like, I don't know if it's somebody in, in the, the Italian equivalent of the daily record has <laughs> had a look. They're like, oh, Lazio needs a, needs a striker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, they've looked at well. like the Europa League qualifying rounds top goal scorer and Sam Cosgrove's going to be up there. Genuinely, because that's the kind of thing that, not that I would do that for work, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you go around, you look for stats, you look for anomalies and when you spot them, you look into it a bit totally. more. I just, I, I just love the thought as well of Simone and Zaghi and Lazio just being like, do you know, I need a right Proper 90s centre forward, big yeah. target man, good on the turn. Get him in at Lazio. Get his brother <laughs> in to coach that. him. There's nothing I can teach this boy. <laughs> it's nice to have a break from advertising, so here's some classical music. Nice. Mm. At Paddy Power, we thought football shirts could use a break from advertising too. That's why we've sponsored Huddersfield Town shirt without a logo and started the Save Our Shirt campaign where any football team that Paddy Power sponsor will be, well, unsponsored. <laughs> Don't you wish we weren't on your shirt too? Now, let's get back to the music. <laughs> Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. 18 plus, be gumbleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. We recorded the podcast before the Europa League qualifying first legs on Thursday, but this lot are never off the clock. So to discuss Rangers' trip to Legia Warsaw, I gave Finnacle. First leg, Legia Warsaw, nil, Rangers nil. Um, it was a bit of a chess match, this game, to be honest. Um, going into it, Legia kept five clean sheets, so Rangers knew they weren't going to give much away. And it was pretty cagey, the, a couple of exchanges in the first 10 minutes, but largely Legia were pretty happy to let Rangers just have possession and sat off them quite a lot in the first half. A couple of little half chances for Rangers. Legia's main tactic seemed to be to try and draw fouls on the wings and then their Georgian midfielder, Gavilia, would try and whip in a free kick towards the big men that they had in the box at set pieces. I think despite that, it was a pretty assured and mature performance, I thought, from Rangers particularly in the first half. Their shape was good and Morelos was leading the line quite well. And then in the second half, it kind of changed. Legia came out much more. 
Rangers had to work much harder. Um, McGregor pulled off some pretty good saves. Rangers tired as the game went on, but still they held their shape pretty well. Morelos probably had the best chance of the second half. He was put through by Arfield, but their keeper Majeki made a really good save. I think in the end, Steven Gerrard will probably be happy with a 0-0 scoreline. I think particularly for how much better Legia were in the second half. And before the game, Gerrard said in his press conference he thought this tie would be really close and go down to the wire. And I, I think that kind of bore out tonight. There wasn't much to separate the sides. But I think Rangers will probably feel confident that they'll find a way that they can break down Legia Ibrox in the return game. He thinks it beyond the goalkeeper. And once again, Ottenelmar with a wonder goal. The Frenchman stepped up and coolly called it beyond Oscar Leonard and Celtic. Have two goals to the goon and Celtic two, AIK now. And Celtic were hosting AIK in Glasgow. JJ drew the Celtic straw. Yeah, it finished 2-0. Um, Celtic look pretty good for the next round here. I'm not sure uh, their opponents have really enough about them to cause too much trouble. But then, you know, it's these Europa League games can be awfully tricky sometimes the first half was kind of frustrating Celtic couldn't really get at them but the big players turned up on the night uh, James Forrest scored a goal the keeper should maybe have saved he sort of powered it into his own net um, and Austin Edwards stepped up with an absolute pinger of a free kick in the top corner Fraser Forster was in the was in the crowd he signed on loan for the entire season that's an uh, immediate improvement over what they had in goal Scott Bain well he's injured now isn't he but um, sort doesn't seem to be able to level and Craig Gordon is Craig Gordon. So it's good that Fraser Forster's in. That'll help them. He's a bit more solid in Europe. Bolly, Bolling, Golly and Bombo. He played at left-back, so Lennon decided... We well, went with a three-man defence tonight. Played Julian as well. Uh, and Bombo played, got booked, but he had some better touches than I've seen him, especially in the second half when he was attacking. He's getting forward and his touch seems to have improved. Maybe he's got some confidence in him now. So Celtic looked good for the, the second leg. Weren't too troubled, should be fine. The final game of the Premiership weekend is a Scottish Cup final rematch. Celtic hosts Hearts on Sunday afternoon and it's been almost a decade since the Jambos won at Celtic Park. It was Michael Stewart with the winning goal in a League Cup quarter-final in 2009. Celtic knocked out of the Champions League. They made hard work of Dunfermline in the Betfred Cup because they needed extra time. I thought they'd come out and absolutely batter them. I thought they'd destroyed Dunfermline because like, whenever they've had a bad European result, they've come out and taken it out or whoever's been there next. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't expect that from Dunfermline. <laughs> I mean, I was watching the score all the way through. I was like, when are they going to... When are they going to... And even because <laughs> sometimes you know a team will go through like a bit of a rough patch, and if it's a team like Celtic or or Rangers or whatever who are more used to, especially at home, once they score, they're kind of like, well, that settles the crowd and yeah. stuff. So when Celtic went one 0 up, you're just like, oh, here it comes. They'll yeah. end like three 0 or something like that. And fair play to Dunfermline because they didn't let it go. Yeah, I think I think Dunfermline need all the credit for taking them to extra time. Did Neil Lennon take them out at the end of the? When was when did he have the players on the pitch talking to them? The very end of the game, yeah. isn't it? See, that's an odd move. He's making weird. He's gone full Phil Brown there. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's it's, risky because you can lose a dressing room, and the stuff with Scott Brown after it. So yeah, Scott Brown on. accidentally liked a tweet <laughs> suggesting that Lennon's maybe not the best. They meant to be pals, aren't they? I, I I think that probably was a genuine mistake. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was. Let's assume it is. Yeah. It's still he, quite funny. Yeah, he just, off the back of that as well. He just wasn't having a good night that night. Scott Brown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that is uh, weird from Neil Lennon to be straight away doing these um, these FIFA celebration team talks on the, the pitch. Players won't like that. Well, away from the game, Celtic legend Tom Boyd is being investigated by the SFA for comments he made on Celtic TV about referee John Beaton. I guess we remember last season there was a lot of hoo-ha online about John Beaton and a refereeing performance against uh, Rangers, wasn't it? Um, But anyway, the question really is, do we expect club broadcasters to be neutral about referees? I I mean... I don't think it's 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 not so much that because you can feel the whole point of like club broadcasters is that you will be biased obviously yeah. to in favour of your team. Yeah. But I think it's more the nature of what he said because what he said was about John Beaton specifically. He'll probably be welcomed down his pub tonight, which is yeah. a reference to John Beaton being allegedly or whatever you've got to say pictured in a, a Ranger supporting pub after that game. I think it was more because it was something else that he said, which is actually probably where he might be pulled up. Which is he also said apparently on Celtic TV we've not played well but once again a decision from a referee may have cost us in this game mm-hmm. meaning the Dunfermline game hopefully we'll go on and beat not the 10 men not the 11 men of Dunfermline but the 12 men yeah. and I think that's the point where yeah. because it's in the rules like it's conspiracy stated, kind of mm-hmm. stories it is and I, I know Boy probably meant it as a joke but when you have someone on your official club channel essentially calling the referee bent that's not acceptable. Like, yeah, so of course. He, absolutely. But I, it's been referred to the compliance officer. I don't. What does the compliance officer do? Does she give him a two-game ban from Celtic TV? Like, well, has he got, got to stand in the corner of the studio? I don't. It goes in the referee tombola, and then they come up with some. Yeah, he has to move to Kenya for two weeks. I don't know. Or well, maybe it will just result in a two-game ban int- for Alfredo Morelos. Interestingly enough, <laughs> let me let me quash ah, something else. Good, yeah. Let me quash something else today. You know, Beaton has actually awarded more penalties to Celtic than any other club in the last three years. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Like he's given Celtic seven penalties no, over the last conspiracy. three years. What about Hearts? We spoke to Amoroso Let's It Run last week, who said that the Hamilton game at home would be a real acid test for Levine and whether he's under pressure. Getting hammered here, it wouldn't help Levine as much as maybe Hearts fans might expect a defeat. They haven't beaten Celtic for a long time away, especially. And they had a couple of uh, results where I think it was like 3-0 and 5-0. But then the last three times Hearts have played Celtic, including the cup final, the game's finished 2-1 to Celtic. So there's not been a huge gap between them. And I just think the way that Hearts play, they know how to play to frustrate Celtic. Mm-hmm. You never know. Like, I, I just think with the way that things have been, the way that Celtic have been playing recently, they were cagey against Dunfermline and you could sense the nerves watching the Cluj match. I think if Hearts can kind of ride out that early 20, 30 minutes potentially mm-hmm. and it's still they're still in it or it's still goalless, you, you don't know. They obviously got a pretty good result against Motherwell in the Betfred Cup. Hearts are in desperate need of being good very soon. They need to bring in some players. There's a, a player we were just watching on Scout before we came in who they've been linked with mm-hmm. who would... Uh, who would Riot, help them win the league? Riot, by all accounts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We watched this guy um, who Man City have just signed, Riatoro Machino. You can see the headlines now. Um, <laughs> he could be joining, possibly. Craig Levine um, had a few nice things to say about him, saying that Hearts fans will enjoy watching him, and other Scottish clubs will enjoy watching him too. But the last time I heard Craig Levine say nice things about a potential player coming into the club, David Vanacek. What happened to him? He was honking. (laughs) (laughs) Honking, what a word. So Naismith could be back for this game. Uh, He's needed. And John Suter. John Suter. But then, I don't know if he wanted to disrupt it, but well, Levine often goes to like a back five, is a five when he plays against big teams. So they're playing a four at the moment with Halkett and Berra, but he'll want to find a way to put Suter in that team as well. But 
it looks like Halkett is the best defender now. It'd be better that it misses out if he keeps with the four. Right. Big game in Paisley this Sunday. St Mirren taking on Rangers. Jim Goodwin, St Mirren are the favourites for the drop, but it's played 1-1 one, one, one at St Mirren Park for them this season, as you well know, JJ. Because they beat Aberdeen two weeks ago. Yes. Yes. Um, well, what do they need to take from that game as well if they're going to take anything from Rangers? What do they need to take? They need to take defensive acumen. Goal-scoring ability. <laughs> a lot of heart and fight. Jim Goodwin, I think, is quite clear early on, knows what he's doing. And St Mirren look all right. I mean, Rangers is a big ask, to yeah. be fair. And you just you expect more of a defensive setup. I mean, against Aberdeen, it was a 4-4-2. I think they were quite deep, but they got the win, as you do when you block everything. I wonder whether he changed the shape a little bit to try and deal with what he's got. Andrea's been okay so far. Yeah, I remember I remember the, the, the defeat to Hibernian in the opening day. I remember St Mirren looked quite assured, had a definite game plan and really stifled Hibs, who are kind of known for their you know attacking ability. So they seem like a much better outfit and with one of the smallest squads as well in the division. So I think they've brought in a few more players now, but who knows? Not that, seen Yuri Jokaev's some play yet, though. No, we haven't. We talked about that. Owen. Neither has Yuri Jokaev because he was there for one of the games That's in right, the stand yeah. with his family and Owen wasn't on pitch at all. I wonder if he paid to get in. Goodwin says that people think that they're soft, but that they showed against Aberdeen that they're anything but soft. I think and Goodwin's a bit of a hard bastard. Isn't I, I don't think like <laughs> Stephen and Paul McGain are particularly soft. Yeah. Like, they're hardy boys. Since last season, they just got done in so easily and it was. A little bit of uh, lack of confidence probably is so key, isn't it? If you don't think you can get back into a game and your season's unravelling and you, everything falls apart. But they seem to be able to defend a bit better straight away, which is obviously very important. Mm -hmm. But again, it's Rangers, right? And Rangers look really good this season. They are scarily organised. They've got great depth. And when you play against a team like that, everyone just sits back. You have a nice, a lovely, our favourite, low block. You'll sit back, maybe a 4-4-2, probably a 4-4-1-1. Try and take advantage of counter-attacks down the channels. But they're going to have hardly any of the ball, I would say. Maybe 20%, 30% of the ball. And that'll be mostly pumping it up the pitch. Rangers are really benefiting from the first time in years and years, probably close to 10 years, they've got a settled squad, a settled manager, settled backroom staff. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows what their, their role is. And they've spent the summer, I think, quite cleverly, changing up the squad in a lot of areas where they've added strength and depth and quality throughout the squad so um, even you know they've signed uh, Hellander centre back mm -hmm. and he can't get a look in but it's not because of anything bad it's just because Katic and Goldson have been rock solid in all the games so far so and that can only be a good thing if you've got that level of player competing to get into the starting lineup. Well, oh, yeah. you, you say that and then you're right in having the competition and when Hellander comes in like he did against these five and he bags a goal. Yeah, exactly. And I thought the the game against these five Rangers were, it was just interesting to see because that's they were just very professional. They, they turned it into a training game. And it, what was interesting was I think after the match, Stephen Gerrard was kind of singing the praises of Joe Arabo particularly and I thought Arabo and Defoe, both of them, their professionalism was just... There were a couple of players, fringe players, that got into the team. Mm -hmm. Gerard rested a lot of players. 
And uh, Stuart even got a game, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Andy Halliday, who had a dreadful game at left back, and none of them did anything to really push the first team. Mm-hmm. But Defoe and Arable, like the professionalism was incredible. It was like it doesn't matter if they're playing in front of fifty thousand or or five hundred. Like they'll they'll still have that level of a game that they bring to the situation. Yeah, that's that Stephen Gerrard's doing. Like you have to try and bring that change mentality to the club and try and instill this winning mentality. Make sure that they are um, always up for the battle and not conceding these late late goals like we talked about before the eighty seven minute thing. Mm-hmm. They have two 11s almost that they need to carry them through and they weren't far off it last season yeah. really think they're right up for it this year they'll do in a few teams the only other thing I was going to say was that it's not just the players that they've brought in who are playing well it's the players that have been there for maybe two or three seasons now who are really coming on a game I think you look under Jared's tenure the likes of Tavernier and Ryan Jack's yeah. been fantastic yeah. this season yeah, really impressive really he's kind of like an 8 now rather than a 6 that he and seems to have got way more to his all round game which must be another bit of coaching with Gerard. definitely Listeners, did you know that we've got a new website? It's the totallyfootballshow.com and it's got the very best from all of our podcasts plus some red-hot original content, including this week, an interview with Carlos Carvajal who explains what went wrong at Sheffield Wednesday, who he nearly signed for Swansea and why he thinks managing in England is paradise. Plus, there's a feature on the joy of Mario Balotelli signing for Brescia and why Sheffield United are definitely the happiest team in England. Find out for yourself at thetotallyfootballshow.com. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven and JJ Bull. Falkirk are the runaway favourites for League One and Craig Turnbull from the Falkirk Herald is here to tell us why. Craig, Falkirk of course finished bottom of the Championship last season but they've signed a ton of players this summer. Who's come in and how have they looked so far? Yeah, as you mentioned there, they have signed a ton of players. I think 15 in total. Um, they've always had this idea of, of a two-year plan. Ray McKinnon mentioned it as soon as the club was was relegated. that they, It wasn't just about getting back to the Championship, it was getting back to the Premiership. Mm. And you can see through the players that he signed that that is a, kind of a target he's made with the players in mind that he's, that he's bought. The likes of Connor Salmon, who was, was at Hearts, who's played at a high level. And you can see already on the park that you know he is sharp and he's he's powerful and he, he'll cause teams problems at this level the likes of his strike partner Declan McManus as well he's a, a loanee from Ross County he knows the league very well and mm-hmm. um, he was player of the year uh, in that league with Morton in, in 2014-15 season so he certainly knows his way to go um, and then you look at the type of players that brought in midfield at Charlie Telfer and Aidan Connolly two uh, creative types and certainly could play at a higher level and just the whole kind of the whole team looks like it would be challenging for not just kind of League One but you know the top end of the Championship so got a great spine like it's a Cammy Bell good experienced goalkeeper Gregor Buchanan's been brought in uh, and Michael Tidzer as well there's a lot of players that Ray McKinnon knows and trusts and it's certainly from what I've seen so far a team that is, is more than capable of, of winning the title and also doing well next season if they do get up and uh, start challenging for the Championship What's the kind of take from people who follow the club about Ray McKinnon? Because he joined last year, it couldn't keep them up. Is there any? Does anyone kind of blame him, or is there any blame attached to him for Falkirk going down last season? Well, because he's a manager, he has to take some blame for for his part in Falkirk's relegation. But what I would say to that is he was dealt a very poor hand. Um, he came in around about this time last year, and to be honest, the team was in disarray. It was a a team that would that would struggle probably to win League Two, never mind stay in the Championship last season. And they were just 
you know, desperately trying to kind of cling on to the coattails of other teams until January so that he could bring in a whole team. And that's what he did. He pretty much just got rid of all the kind of players that had been brought in and, you know, brought in a new team. But even in January, it's difficult at the best of times, a window. Um, so, you know, trying to get the right players in and the state that Falkirk were in at that time, it was always going to be difficult. And to take it to the last day, I suppose you have to give some credit to McKinnon and the team for that, that they weren't kind of cut adrift. And when it looked like at some point that they might well be. What's happened then in the summer? Have Falkirk came in a bit of money? Because we're all aware of um, the New York businessman Mark Campbell coming in, uh, but that's not set in stone yet. There's still stuff to be done for that to be finalised. Where have the club kind of been able to back Ray McKinnon over the summer? I think it's from a kind of variety of sources in terms of you know money from Will Volks. He moved to Cardiff for about two million, so they've got some money from that. They've had cutbacks in terms of staff and operation team, and they've always said that you know they would back McKinnon to try and get them back into the championship and also the the Premiership. They've kind of thrown their weight behind that, and um, they're a club that run with no debt or anything like that. So they've always been in a, a fairly strong financial position. What is the the kind of deal with this Mark Campbell guy? Because I read that there's fans that are concerned about him. I don't know anything about him personally. Who is he, and what's what's going on with that? Well, he's, it's very difficult to kind of pin him down as to who he actually is. He's, he did a kind of fans Q&A um, and I went along to that and he said all the right things. He's a 46-year-old English businessman who's based in New York and tends to come uh, and be in Edinburgh if, if everything goes through. I don't know too much about him, to be honest. He says that a lot of his Google history, you can't find much about him because there was a messy divorce and he had to get that all purged so that's why you'll not be able to find too much information about him does he have money and I guess is, that, is, is he planning on doing some sort of massive funding bit where he takes him up to Champions League in a few seasons <laughs> well this is it I mean it's difficult to know where his money's coming from because there's not that much evidence of there, there being money there I mean there's He's not really answered those questions, I think, that Falkirk yeah. fans would, would like to know. Where's the money coming from and what's kind of in it for you? Um, and he tried to kind of answer those questions with a Q&A that night. But again, I think it just opened up more questions as to why he wants to take over. He, he promised kind of Falkirk fans the, the wish list that they all want. They all want the academy back. They want the fourth stadium built. They want to be a top six premiership club. But, you know, it's, it all sounds a bit too good to be true. But. Yeah. They're now going through this due diligence process, which is kind of expected to be finished um, by August 31st. The club are remaining tight-lipped over that process. Um, and so we just have to kind of wait and see what happens there. We should mention Breakin City um, because that's where we had our first managerial casualty of the season. A death! Yeah, Barry... Not a death, JJ. <laughs> Barry Smith sacked after three games into the campaign. City are bottom of League Two, having lost all three games. Smith was in charge since November, but couldn't stop them dropping down from League One. So back-to-back relegation for Breakin, and if they stay bottom, that could be three relegations in a row. It's a pretty precarious position they're in when they were back in the championship and they didn't win a single game yeah. and I think it's just it's a lot more fraught for clubs right down at the bottom hovering over that last place in League 2 since the relegation out the league was introduced and you've seen what's happened in recent seasons to Stirlingshire and Berwick Rangers and I mean I doubt any time soon they'll be coming back up the way because of where those clubs are and you see the teams that are ready to come in like look at the way Cove Rangers have started the season coming in and they've absolutely blitzed it you know it must just be so scary if you're supporting a team that's at that level of of 
of the league, they're on just a downward trajectory. Well, there's so many clubs in that lower leagues, though, that this is one of the problems with the Highland League teams. There's quite a few decent ones who have not huge amounts of money, but you look at Minkove are doing really well now, right? Yeah. For Martin, have a bit of money behind them, and they'd want to try and push up that kind of league. And there's only one spot. And if there's loads of teams that just crash down, this is where they end up. If it ever changes, there'll be the one playoff, because that playoff is huge, yeah. Well, just, a huge just, event. Just sticking with um, Smith, he had to play for Brecon against Forfar in the Cup last month because the, the club didn't have um, enough players. He retired nine years ago. But in a similar vein, 50-year-old Clyde manager Danny Lennon brought himself on in the Glasgow Cup on Tuesday night against Celtic's Colt side. But Lennon retired 11 years ago. It's great. It's just, it's Have you seen that? Have you seen this? So far, it's this, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's interesting because he's 50 years old, Danny Lennon, and he's a bit of a silver fox, but he looks way older than 50. Which do, you is think, quite... do you think he was preparing himself for this? Because I've seen pictures and he's got flowing grey hair now, <laughs> almost like a kind of... I bet there's an Amazon documentary. They've got heaps now. But do you remember when he was... Danny Lennon. Do you remember when he was... Fighting fit. <laughs> do you remember when he was at St Mirren and it was just that short kind of army hairstyle, jet black. He looked a bit like a head teacher. Now he looks like a classy European centre mid. He looks like he steals your wife at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw um, Old Firm Facts Fox, tweeted. Right. Uh, he looks like the um, the guy in charge of the of Chernobyl in the show. Chernobyl. Absolutely, he does. Have you ever? Have I'm you a ever, handsome version. Yeah, have you, you've ever seen um, Chernobyl? Um, producer Charlie brought this up with me earlier on. Diatlov, Diatlov um, from Chernobyl, who was like the chief engineer. That's who you look like, Danny. Except you're a much nicer man. I mean, could Diatlov come on at 50 years old to play centre mid for no, Clyde? Could Danny Lennon prevent a nuclear meltdown? <laughs> <laughs> Time now for the latest odds with our man Lee Price at Paddy Power. It's St Mirren v Rangers. Last time they met, Stephen Gerrard's side were awarded four penalties. What are the chances of that happening again? <laughs> Yeah, I still can't believe it actually did happen. We don't think it will happen again, though, this time. It's, in fact, odds on that no penalties are given in this fixture, 2-5. to five. Uh, You can get 13-8 to eight there, one or more penalties. Or for four penalties again, it's 150-1. to one. A real long shot, unlike a penalty. Very nicely. The last two Hibs games have provided seven goals and then eight goals. Are we getting a goal fest against St Johnston on Saturday? Ooh, optimistic bets this weekend. Uh, maybe the odds are obviously quite long here um, to get over six and a half goals i.e. seven goals or more is 25 to 1 if you think there'll be eight goals or more it's 80 to 1 and you really want to knock yourself out and say nine goals or more it's 100 to 1 Ross County currently sit third in the table and they've got a very winnable game on Saturday how about a top six finish for the Staggies? Interesting if you'd asked a few weeks ago at the start of the season of course Killy or Aberdeen would be Massive favourites to finish third. But Ross County have had a brilliant start to the season and the odds have shortened on them finishing the top six. It's now just 11-2. We think it's more likely than not they'll be in the top half. Hamilton host Motherwell at three o'clock on Saturday. Local Lanarkshire derby, guys. These sides pretty evenly matched in their meetings last season. Tight affairs, not much in this. It's anyone's ball game. <laughs> Hamilton are a weird one. So Brian Rice wants to play nice attacking football and make them more open. He's not actually really doing that anymore. He's They're playing a bit more like how Martin Canning had them. It's not the same shape. They set off them and they launch the ball forward and then push the team up to try and 
gain territory. It's very much territory based. And then they try and get something out of it. And I like Motherwell this season. Is, yeah, so is that is that going to work for them against Motherwell? What, punting the ball miles in the air and chasing it? Probably, like, it's a dice roll, isn't it? Motherwell are playing a lot more football on the deck these days. I always think the team who keeps the ball on the deck and passes it about wins. And it always annoys me watching teams who don't do it. I just don't <laughs> understand why you'd launch it. I, it doesn't make sense to me. So that's what you'd expect to see from these two teams. I don't know who's going to win. But I'd expect Motherwell to keep the ball on the deck. Hamilton will probably not do that because it gets them up the pitch. And Motherwell should have more of the ball. So then they have to launch to well, get out of their hole. Motherwell, Motherwell might be really enough to be knocked out of the Betfred Cup at home to Hearts. They've obviously been thrashed by Celtic, but they started that game really, really well. So you think this is a game that they really need three points in. They obviously always need three points in all games, <laughs> but this is a game... We're getting the point across of almost similar to Celtic needing a, a, a big performance and a big win. Mother will need that. I think they do, yeah, definitely. They'll be desperate to to get what would be their first win of the the Premiership campaign. I don't think they've had a, a very easy start. A, you know, a, a way to Livy on on that pitch and then at home to Celtic, obviously. So, But I think they'll be so up for it because it's, it's the derby match and to get your first three points of the season would just kind of set them on their way. I think they're not far off. And in, in, in the League Cup, they were brilliant in the group stages. Like, just some of the attacking football they had, I think they'll have too much for Hamilton. There's a big link of Jack Hendry from Celtic actually going to Motherwell. Do you think that would go a long way to shoring up their defence? Because they've obviously got Declan Gallagher at the back as well, who did so well for Livingston. Do they need another defender? Jack Henry's another difficult one. don't know how good he actually is because he was signed as a potential star. And then... From Dundee. Yeah, from Dundee, because he was very good at Dundee, but also he's young, but he didn't look... I don't think he's great at Celtic. Who knows, maybe he needs to go to a smaller club where it's not so much pressure, but... He would have pressure at somewhere like Motherwell. Jack like, Hendry isn't that young. He's 24. Oh, well, so I'm wrong, yeah. He's, he's way older than I thought he was. Jack yeah. Hendry's 24. Yeah. Oh, well, no, it's not a good move. <laughs> <laughs> Hebs going to... Well, no, sorry, they're hosting St. Johnston. Paul Heckenbottom given a right scare by Greenock Morton in the Betfred Cup, but eventually winning 5-3 in extra time. Nine goals conceded in two games by them. It's uh, it's wide open, their defence. <laughs> I think it's been a trend for a couple of the teams in the Premiership, I think, at the moment. It's like they're actually really good going forward. Um, I think St Mirren are a really good example of that. Motherwell are really good as well. Hibs, <laughs> at the expense of... Uh, it's kind of like the Kevin Keegan school of tactics. It's like, you <laughs> you might score five as the opposition, but we're going to try and score six. And I just... I actually, I'm like, give me goals, man. Yeah, That's what I want to see. Up. Sign me up for It that. does mean some of the defending is horrendous. So it, some of the, the goals they lost in, in the Morton game... Was it's almost like you could imagine the Benny Hill theme tune playing underneath yeah. it. It was comically bad. But having said that, like Hibs do look exciting. I think the Rangers game was kind of a, a bit of an anomaly. Anyway, they tried to play football in the middle of the park, and Rangers have just looked so good, especially in midfield. So I think you can't really tell much from that game. But you know, the likes of Scott Allen, I think he's been decent since he's come in. That's two goals, two assists in three games, and also man of the match against Morton was Glenn Middleton who mm. made his debut. And I I was saying this last week, I think he'll be a real player for them. He's very direct. He's quite exciting. He can actually switch between wings as well. And that's what they lose with Boyle being out of injured as well. Yeah, 100%. So. I think this would be a really good game. I'd be shocked if St. Johnston kept a clean sheet. St. Johnston, as we said, <laughs> have not turned up this season in any way that we thought they would. Well, I, th- I thought they would because we're used to them being robust, but they are not. And they still don't know how to score goals yet. Something I found out, though, in preparation for this, St. Johnston haven't been defeated at Easter Road for seven years. 
but that came seven years ago this weekend. Oh. Ooh. Well, you heard who it there. Knows? Well, who it, knows? They're still like, linked with Stevie May, who seems to get better the less he plays for Aberdeen. <laughs> you remember him being this sort of player that he was, the more you don't actually see him on the pitch. Yeah. But maybe he'd be great. I don't know. God, it'd be nice for him to be good at football again. Saints are just desperate for a striker. That's that's the problem. They need someone, and they've actually also been linked with Ollie Shaw of Hibs. It would be good for Ollie Shaw to get away because he's not really breaking through at Hibs. He's always been kind of brought on from, from the bench. And I really liked him last season. I thought he's shown real glimpses of, of an eye for goal for a striker. And he, he scored quite a few important goals, I think thing is it's a weird team to go to if you're a striker because you want to have chances so you can score yeah. and I don't know how many he's going to get apart from crosses that's a good point so you think a player like Shaw you look at Lawrence Shanklin as an example of a kind of younger player who's done really well at a lower league because obviously he's done that in a lower league but if you went to somewhere maybe lower down he'd score a lot more and be a lot better for him because if you're St Johnston they don't try and play over a high line they mostly get crosses in from the wings there's no like through balls trying to beat a high defence because no one really plays with a high line in Scotland it's the service you're basically saying that he needs you know a certain amount of service to get chances in front of goal would he get that at Saints mm, I don't like, know it, it was interesting this week as well because I think Tommy Wright came out the other day and when he was talking about his wingers so Michael Halloran and, and Matty Kennedy yeah. that he wants to see both of them get at least a dozen goals this season so it's interesting that but they're wingers they play, they play outside they're, they're good yeah. players too they're really good I mean, players Kennedy already has three this season yeah. but I don't know if he's kind of got O'Halloran and Kennedy confused with like Robin and Ribery like you know both of them cutting in wow. and scoring these goals but I mean it'd be amazing to see well finally Ross County welcome Livingston to Dingwall the Staggies were knocked out of the cup by Partick Thistle but they're unbeaten in two games so far in the Premiership I really like the look of Ross County they've looked to really have ridden the coattails of their promotion from the league below coattails there's another <laughs> um, studio buzzword uh, absolutely I fancy County for this one just purely because last season Livingston only won once on the road the whole of last season mm. and that was the third game of the season or whatever it was away to St Mirren who were abject and <laughs> I think there was even still Alan Stubbs that was there at that point so they're not good on the road Livy and I just think from their first game of the season they were Really impressive, I thought. And they're really well organised. I think they'll be gutted that they went out to Thistle because the chance to get into the quarterfinals and when you're playing lower league opposition and Thistle have had their own problems this season, I think they'll be really disappointed and, and eager to get back into the swing of things. I'm really hoping um, Lyndon Dykes starts again for Livingston. He played for Queen of the South last year and, and, and signed a pre-contract with Livy. Um, so he's joined them and he scored against uh, Forfar in their 2-1 win in the quarterfinals of the Betfred Cup. If he starts again, he could be that kind of link between midfield and attack for Livingston because he can be really wily. He can hold up the ball. He's a really tall player, but he's absolutely miserable for winning a ball in the air. So he's much better at receiving at defeat and um, yeah he took his goal well and hopefully he continues that just because the Queen of the South connection and I like Queens <laughs> <laughs> problem with these games is that it's too early in the season to really know how good these teams are Yeah, it's hard making predictions because you look like an idiot no matter what happens <laughs> especially me my predictions are usually wrong Ross County 1 Livingston 2 <laughs> yes <laughs> I'll be the idiot <laughs> <laughs> thank you to JJ thank you to Finn Thank you, The Little Kicks, for providing our lovely theme song. We appreciate it a lot. We're back next Friday ahead of, oh yeah, Rangers v Celtic.
You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Thank you.